Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. so good to see all of you, and today we're doing exactly that. We're continuing in our series that we've entitled Always Ready. I talked about this last week, but we get the title of this series from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I want to go over it real quick because this is a command given really to all Christians. Here's what Peter says. He says, always being prepared to make a defense, and that prepared is is, is, is um." Always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet. Do it with gentleness and respect. So we see here that believers are commanded to always be prepared. We're to always be ready to defend the content of the things that we believe, and we're to do it, and this is really important, with gentleness and respect. In other words, if you're doing this without gentleness or respect, then you are disobeying this command. It comes t- together, all right? So, so what we're doing is for five weeks, we are just setting some time aside to study and look at some of the difficult things that our society and our culture bring against Christians and Christianity because we want to be able to answer them with respect and gentleness as to why we hold certain truths to be true. All right, so last week, week number one, we, we looked at the most fundamental question. Does science disprove God? We did that last week. Now, if you weren't here last week, I just want to let you know, you can go back and look on our app. You can see the sermon. You can listen to it on the podcast. I also want to just say this. We have a Facebook page just for this service, and we get a lot of information out there. If you don't, if you're not on Facebook or you are on Facebook and you're not, have, have not liked this page, you can do that. We also have a group specifically for this service. You can join it, and we kind of encourage each other in that way. So I just wanted to Let you know about all of that, but that was last week. Today, we're going to look at the next crucial question. And here's the question we're looking at today Is the Bible true and reliable? That's what we're going to look at today. Because this is a question, I think, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, you've already been asked this in some way or another. The question is, can we believe the Bible? Is it reliable, all right? So you can get your Bibles out. Now, I'm going to be in a lot of different verses, so not just one verse, but you can get your Bible out or your Bible app, and you can get your worship guide out as well, and you can follow along, and you can take notes. Now, I've already made mention of this earlier, but, uh, man, we got a lot of information to cover, and I have a tendency to get really um, kind of, man, just excited about this stuff. So if I get off course, 
I'm sorry, someone can raise their hand. That's you, Ben. Say, Travis, get back, get back on track, all right? We got a lot to cover. You can take all the notes you want to, but um, let's begin with just, the ba- just, a, just a basic statement, all right? The basic thing I want all of us to know is that the Bible, all 66 books in the Bible, you got 39 Old Testament, 29 New Testament, the Bible in its totality for itself claims to be the Word of God. It makes that claim. Old Testament, New Testament. Specifically, real quick, I'll have us look at um, 2 Timothy 3.16. Here's how Timothy, or Paul says this to Timothy. He says, all Scripture, right now, that's the totality of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is breathed, God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, real quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we got a lot more stuff we want to cover, but... Um, Notice the word God breathed. In the Greek, it's the word theophanstros, and it means literally to be breathed out by God. In other words, the Bible claims for itself to be the very word of Almighty God. That means it is completely true or it is all completely false, but it is not lukewarm. It is the word of God, or it is not the word of God. So the big overarching question is this. Are there any proofs? Is there anything that we can look at and study that would have us believe and understand or validate that it is indeed the word of God? Because anything really can claim to be the word of God. It don't make it the word of God. So here's what we're going to do today. There are three broad truths that I want us to go over. And that may not answer everything that you might want to be answered but I think it will indeed answer the question of, is it reliable? Is it true? All right? So we're going to walk through this, and it's going to be fun. It is fun, all right? First broad truth that I want us to understand, that the Bible is, in fact, reliable and true, is this. The Bible is faithfully translated. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to build upon this. And um, anyway, let's just get into it. Um, Here's the pushback. Here's the pushback you may have encountered from some, all right? Some people will say something akin to this. You know, man, I don't know about the Bible. Even if it is the Word of God, how do we even know that it is exactly what God had said? Because it's not like we have the original manuscripts. Like, there's no copy of Genesis signed by Moses or anything like that. We don't have it. So how do we know? How can we trust and be sure that what I have and what you have in your hands today is exactly what God intended for us to have. Three reasons why I believe we can take great confidence in the Word of God. First, I would say this. It is written by eyewitnesses. The Bible is written by eyewitnesses. Now, according to the book of Hebrews, we're told that God did this in various ways, writing the Bible, and he did. No no doubt, he did it in various ways. Sometimes he dictated it. Sometimes he revealed it in dreams and visions. Other times, many times, often, it was simply an eyewitness account of what God was doing. Like you got Moses. Moses saw the Red Sea being parted. Moses thought, that's something you don't see every day. I think I'm going to write that down. God wanted him to. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. Samuel was there when David killed Goliath with a single stone. The disciples were there with Jesus. Um, Look how Luke describes this. 
This is, look, Luke, 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 chap, Luke, chapter 1, verse 2. Check this out. It says this. Just as the, look at this, original eyewitness, eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. Look what Luke does. He says, it also seemed good to me. Since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. You see what Luke is saying there? Luke is saying, hey, listen, this is not secondhand information. These aren't rumors. These are not, this is not gossip. I went down and I, I tracked down the eyewitnesses. And from the eyewitnesses, I have written down exactly what transpired Matthew's gospel, written by Matthew. John's gospel, written by John. It's written by eyewitnesses. By the way, this isn't in my notes, and I could get, I'm not going to get off track, but I just want to share this with you. Nobody in the first century, even the second century, contradicted any of this. Nobody said what was written is not true. Why? Because there was eyewitnesses there. And they all knew that the eyewitnesses saw this. It wasn't until the third, fourth, fifth, sixth Centuries of people start saying, I don't know, all right? But eyewitnesses, that's first. Second, I would say this. It was copied with accuracy, all right? The Bible is copied with accuracy. Once again, we're going to get back to this. You can get back to this and say, it's been passed down, all right? Like we know, dude, some guy, he, he, it's not like you got, a, you got a copier back in the day. It's not like you got some word processor, these things had to be copied by hand. And so how can we be assured that even someone didn't make a, a, a mistake, right? Because we've all been there. We've all written an email, right? And you want to make sure the email is correct. And so you go over it before you send it. It's an important email. And you got someone, they come and they kind of review it for you. And you both say, yes, this is an absolutely correct email. And then you send it and you read it after you sent it. And you realize you made a mistake, right? It happens. And so you say, well, how in the world are these guys writing down all this stuff, how, how do we know that it's right, right? How do we know they haven't made mistakes, all right? Two things I want to say on this. Um, the second one I want to spend a little time on. The first one is just knowledge for you to know. You can um, go look it up. But um, the men who copied Scripture knew that they were copying the Word of God. In the Old Testament, they were called scribes and um, they took their job very seriously, and you can look in the Mishnah, all of the different things that they had to do in order to do it. It's, 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 it's staggering. Like, I'll just give you one example. Like, after they wrote down, like, say, the name of God, they had to stop and go wash their whole body and get a new pen before they picked up. I mean, it's, it's crazy how accurate they had to be, all right? But I don't want to go over these rules and regulations, because here's the deal. Who can, honestly, me? I don't care about the rules and regulations. What I want to know is were they successful? Were they able to absolutely copy generation after generation without a mistake the word of God that you now have in your hand? How'd they do? Let's check it out. I'm going to tell you the story. Um, prior to 1946, the, only, the oldest copy of the Old Testament that we had is called the Masoretic Text. You can Google it. You can read about it. It's from the ninth century. So the Bibles you have, for the most part, well, some have been updated a bit, but, but for the Bibles, the Bibles you have, for the most part, they're all translated from the, the, the Masoretic text, okay? A thousand years removed, all right? 
Then 1946, something really interesting happened. 1946, there was this Bedouin shepherd, and he is in the um, Jordanian desert, right? And he's just shepherding his sheep. Nothing unusual about that at all, all right? Now, there's something that's interesting about the Jordanian desert. It's really interesting about any deserts, but deserts get really hot. Um, My wife and I have been to the Jordanian desert um, multiple times. Um, We've been through different Arabian deserts. There was a time, this true story, true story, my wife and I, my my wife likes to to hike around or whatever, and she thought it would be cool to hike around a little bit in the desert there in in Arabia, and seriously, she's walking, and as she's walking, her shoes start melting in the desert, all right? So it is shoe-melting hot, all right? That's how hot it is. I don't know the exact temperature. I'm just saying her shoes were melting, all right? So evidently now, we're going back to 1946, evidently, the desert was just as hot then as it is today. And this guy's got some sheep. Evidently, he had at least one smart sheep. The one smart sheep says, you know what? I don't, I don't know what he said, but evidently, he didn't want to be in the heat. So the one smart sheep, he goes into a cave, all right? He's in a cave because he don't want to be in the heat, all right? So now you got, you got the shepherd. The shepherd's got a problem. The shepherd got a problem because his sheep is in the cave. And he wants the sheep out of the cave. Now, the shepherd could go up to the cave, but that's a lot of work, and he's in a hot desert. So he does what every smart shepherd would do. He grabs a rock, and he throws it in the cave because he wants the rock to hit the sheep and the sheep to come out of the cave. All right? That's the setup. You got it? That's what's going on. Maybe you've heard this story. He picks up the rock. He throws it in the cave, but instead of hitting the sheep, he hears a thud like that. He's like, that's not a sheep. I better go check it out. He goes up into the cave, and in the cave there was all this pottery. And within the pottery was a lot of manuscripts. We know them as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were written about 2,000 years ago, 300 years prior to Jesus. 1,000 years prior to the Masoretic text. Here's what goes down, 1946. People saying this, oh, well, this is awesome. We now have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're going to put the Dead Sea Scrolls right beside beside the Masoretic text, and we are going to prove once and for all these Christians are all messed up, that the Bible that they have, the Bible they possess, has gross errors in it because there's no way for a 1,000 years things have been copied exactly right. You know what they did? They did that. They put them side by side. 1,000 years apart, and you know what they found? 95 plus percent of it is identical to the Bible you have in your hand right now. These men copying these Bibles, they're not making mistakes. And some people say, what about the other 5%? Let me tell you about the 5% they messed up on. It was little scribal errors, maybe, well... Not punctuations. Hebrew is a little bit different, but just like a, a little something different or a little phrase different. There's a clear error. In addition to that, you do this. You take away all 5% of those little errors, and guess what? You lose nothing. The Old Testament still stands firm. These guys didn't mess up. You can take confidence in that. Let's get to the New Testament. And... Um, i got to breathe some because I'm about to get carried away. In advance, I'll let you know, all right? Because this is the stuff that just can rub me wrong, all right? But it's okay to rub me wrong. It's not a big deal, but I'm just telling you, and it makes me... New Testament has been so remarkably, remarkably preserved. In the last 150 years, there has been thousands of ancient manuscripts of the New Testament discovered. 
I'm going to just tell you some facts. You can write it down. You can check it out. Um, the oldest New Testament fragment we have was discovered in 1930. It was discovered by an archaeologist in Egypt in a mummy. It was discovered, it was from 115 A.D. It was wrapped around the head of this mummy. It was a parchment, all right? And it is the Gospel of John, chapter 18. You can write this down. It's Ryland's Papyrus P52. You can look it up. You can read it. It's been digitized, all right? And here's the deal. It reads exactly like your Bible, but, 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 but here's what's so significant about it. I want you to check this out. This was 115 A.D. You've got a copy of the book of John, and it's identical to the John in your lap right now. Why that is so significant is this parchment is only 48 years removed from the actual events. Like only 48 years removed. It's like just almost a half a generation later, right? And it's identical to what you have. The earliest version that we can find of the New Testament, only about 48 years removed. I believe John was written about 67 AD. That's tremendous. But I'm going to push this a little bit more because I want you to understand. I want you to understand what the world tries to do to the Bible, all right? Today, there are over 23,769 known copies of New Testament manuscript, all right? Here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. How does the evidence for the New Testament stack up against the evidence for other historical documents in the first, second, third century, right? How does it stack up, right? Like, 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 like you, got, you got Plato, you got, um, you got what, the, the Gaelic Wars, you got, um, man, you got Homer, you got the Odyssey, all right? How, how does the New Testament, the evidence for the New Testament stack up to these other historical events that nobody questions, all right? I'm just going to share some of this with you. You got Herodotus. People love Herodotus. It's a history. We only have 109 copies of that. And the earliest copy of Herodotus is 420 years removed from the actual events recorded in Herodotus. New Testament, 23,769 documents, and the earliest is 48 years removed. But nobody's out there questioning Herodotus. They will teach it in high school. Let's go on Plato. Everyone thinks Plato, the works of Plato. There are only 210 known copies. And the earliest, the closest, is 500 years removed from the actual events. You talk of, they teach that in the universities. What about the Gaelic Wars? Only 251 known copies. The earliest one is 700 years removed from the events. Here's what I'm saying. Give the New Testament a fair shake, man. Why do you sit there and demand it to deliver more evidence than you demand from any other book in the ancient Near East or the modern Near East? You teaching it in universities? Just give it a fair shake, man. And I, you, or, do, or do this. Or do this. Demand that Herodotus, the Gaelic Wars, Homer, and the Odyssey meet the level of evidence that the New Testament meets. They won't do it. You know why? You, we would lose all our history. 
We would lose all of our history if we demanded all the historical documents we know that we have, that we stand on, to meet the same standard that we require of the New Testament. Just be fair, man. You know what the problem is? The New Testament claims to be the Word of God. But it's, we got the evidence. I mean, let's move on. We got a lot more to talk about. That's just the beginning. Third thing I would say is this. Um, it was validated by Jesus. The, the whole Bible's been validated by Jesus. Now, if you're not a believer, this doesn't really um, mean much to you, and that's okay. But if you are a believer, I think this should give you some confidence, right? If you are a Christian, you need to know that when Jesus walked the earth, he validated the whole Bible. He said it was historical. He said it was accurate. He said it was reliable, and he said it was applicable to everything. Over and over again, he would say, yes, it is written, and he would quote the Old Testament. Thus it is written, for it is written. Again, it is written. He said that Jonah was historical, and he actually went inside the belly of a fish. He, Jesus said all of Genesis is historical and literally correct over and over again. He said the Old Testament is the literal word of God. Jesus said it. And if you believe he is God in the flesh, I would say we should, put, we should treat it as such. Okay, so... First, the Bible is faithfully translated, all right? That's good. That's the first broad stroke. Hope it gives you some confidence. Second thing I want to get to is the Bible is historically accurate. Um, man, this is, this is coming around my wheelhouse, man. This is the stuff that I um, really enjoy talking about. But um, let me just set it up. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years and over 40 generations. You got 40 authors, three different languages, three different continents, and it's only got one story. It's, it's about Jesus, all right? But what I want to point out here is it wasn't written in a historical vacuum, meaning that as the events of the Old Testament were happening and the New Testament, other world events were happening at the same time. You got culture going on, you got cities working out and all of this stuff. So if the Bible is what it says it is and written when it said it was written, it should line up with the historical context of the known history of the world. It is called historical synchronism, all right? Historical synchronism. It means if a book claims to be written in the Middle Bronze Age, then within that book, it should contain evidence of the Middle Bronze Age. It should use Middle Bronze Age words. It should talk about Middle Bronze Age cultures and cities. Historical synchronism. That's a fair thing. So the question is, how does the Bible stack up to historical synchronism? Glad you asked. Three ways. First way, it is geographically precise. I want to share some stuff with you guys that I've never shared before publicly, so um, uh, give me some grace, man. But um, there are thousands of archaeological sites that have proven to some point detail about the Bible, and it, none of it contradicts. You may not be completely aware of this. Some of you are a little bit aware of this, but my wife Charity and I have spent significant time in the Middle East, in the Holy Lands, and Asia Minor, and we have been blessed to go on a lot of different archaeological Digs, several digs. One of my closest friends, Dr. Stephen Collins, is in Jordan right now directing a dig there. And at one time, I and my wife were blessed to be his research assistants. 
and assistant. So, assistant, so um, I want to share something with you I've never shared before. Dr. Collins, he wrote a book. He wrote a book called Discovering the City of Sodom. All right, it's tremendous. You can buy it at Amazon. You can buy it at any fine retail store. I get no money if you buy it. I'm just telling you it's there. I have tried to suppress this as long as I can. Some people find it, and they bring this to my attention, so I'm bringing it to your attention. Page 91 is the apex of the book. All right, I'm waiting for the giggles. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, well, thank you, thank you. The diz, you know, I, the, the hair, exactly, you know. So um, I get no money from this book, so just to let you know. Um, <laughs> I love Dr. Collins. I know not why I'm in the book. We did some research. I did some research. I found the book, and that's all why I'm in there. So what I'm about to tell you is I could spend a lot of time on this, the historical synchronism of the Old Testament. Um, I get geeked up. Um, But I'm not going to share everything that I'd like to share. I'm going to share two of my favorite stories with you. All right? Historical synchronism. First, I want to talk about the Hittites. All right? The Hittites. See, the Hittites caused us Christians a lot of problems. It really did. Um, Because prior to several, a while back, there, there, there was no evidence of the Hittites anywhere. Nowhere. They were taking us to the woodshed. I'm just letting you know. They're like, listen, the word Hittite is made up. It comes from the fairy book, the Bible. There's absolutely no evidence for the Hittites. And they would just hammer us on this. And then in about 1880, a guy up in Turkey, man, he's doing, he's doing some digs. He comes across some tablets. They translate the tablets. And they say this. The first one says, from the land of Hatti. They translate another tablet. It says, the people of Hattusis. Charity and I have both been to Hattusis. Then they start thinking, these must be the Hittites. It is the Hittites. You know what they do then? They go back to the Old Testament, and they start studying the Old Testament, so they can figure out where all the Hittite cities are. It's there. It's in the Bible. It's one of my favorites. It's always good when people make fun of you, only to um, find out you are right all along. I don't know. Maybe that's just the flesh. Either way, it feels good, don't it? (laughs) Here's my also personal favorite. It's not the best. It's just my favorite. Your favorite doesn't have to be the best. It's my favorite. Joshua chapter 8 talks about a city called Ai. A-I. All right? It's the second city conquered by um, Joshua. Um, The detail, well, he lost at first, but he went back and recopied it, reconquered it. Joshua 8, you can read it. Now, Charity and I were blessed to visit Kerbert Elkmakater. That is biblical I. All right? Now, here's the cool thing. I'm just telling you, you can you, you, you take my word for it or you don't have to, but I'm telling you. You get to Kerbert Elkmakater, you stand at the highest point, you open up Joshua's chapter 8. You read Joshua's ch- chapter 8. It gives a very detailed account of the attack and counterattack. And you're sitting there and you're reading it from the highest point there, and you can literally see the valleys where you're looking, you can see exactly what the writer was talking about. There is no other place this could have been written. Like, every detail is there. You're standing there, and you're like, man, I see. That's where Joshua's armies were. That is where they hid at. This is where the the army from I came out. You can see all of it. It's all there. It matches perfectly. It's geographically precise. But let's keep going. Not only is it geographically precise, it is culturally correct. Once again, I could spend a lot of time on this. 
We're not going to, but I, I'm going to say this. In the Bible, where it claims to be Middle Bronze Age, there is Middle Bronze Age evidence in the text. Where it claims to be Iron Age 1 or Iron Age 2, there is evidence in the text. Let me just give you a, a this is a Hellenistic example. All right? I want you to see this. All right? This is just awesome, man. Man, okay. So, this isn't lost on you. Every generation has their most popular baby names, right? And then a new generation comes and there's a new popular baby name, all right? Here's a few. The 1900s, Ethel and Henry. That's what, that was popular back in the day, Ethel and Henry. 1930, a girl named popular was Dorothy. A boy named popular was Richard, all right? 1990, well, this is, anyway, um, popular woman's name is Brittany. Popular male name is Justin, all right? 2017, it was Sophia and Grayson, all right? We know that. Every single generation got new popular names. Now, here's the crazy thing. If you compare the most popular names in the Gospels to the most popular names in the first century Palestine, and you can do it, there's documentation, you will find that the popular names in the New Testament are exactly the popular names popular in the first century Palestine. Now, how in the world are you going to do that unless it was actually written in the first century? You can't. You can't. It is culturally correct. And you can go back and do that all through the Bible. People have. And that gets to the next thing. It's chronologically true. And this is the stuff, once again, I love this stuff. And a lot of of apologists don't talk about this but I love it. There's a gentleman named Dr. Kenneth Kitchen. He's wrote a book called On the Reliability of the Old Testament, and he eats everyone's sack lunch. I have seen no man stand before him and try to argue his conclusions. I'm going to give you two of them. I'm going to condense them. First, the cost of slaves. Let's talk about the cost of slaves. Genesis chapter 37 Verse 38, we are told that Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver or 20 shekels, all right? Not only that, if you take the Bible seriously, then you know that it claims that it was written in the Middle Bronze Age, precisely Middle Bronze Age 2B. That's 1700 B.C., all right? That's what it claims. The Bible claims it's written in Middle Bronze Age 2B.C., right? And it, or 2B, and then it says that it 20 pieces of silver is what a slave cost. Here's what Dr. Kitchen does. Dr. Kitchen goes out. He finds all of the ancient Near Eastern documents from all over the world, from different, different centuries. You got early bronze, middle bronze, light bronze, iron one, iron two, going into Hellenistic and Byzantine and all of that. Okay, He's got all of that. And then he, he looks for the cost of slaves. All right, And then he does a chart showing what the cost of slaves were throughout the century. Do you know what the cost of a slave was? And the Middle Bronze Age, specifically Middle Bronze Age 2B, all across the ancient Near East, 20 shekels. How are you going to be making that stuff up if it wasn't written there? It's in the text. It's in the culture. It is to be taken seriously. It's there, right? How in the world it's a myth? And you know in the economic conditions back in the Middle Bronze Age. How in the world are you making this stuff up? You can't go Google it. You had to be there. Second, talk about this one. Treaties, laws, and covenants. 
Dr. Kitchen did the same thing. You see, here's the deal. A Middle Bronze Age treaty law and covenant looked different than an Iron Age one uh, treaty law or covenant, right? They look different. Iron Age looks, they just all, they look different. Bible has a lot of covenants. The Bible has a lot of treaties. Here's what he did. He went and found all the middle, all, all, the, all of the treaties, laws, and covenants from the different periods. He lays them out. The ones in the Bible next to those not in the Bible. And guess what he found out? That a Middle Bronze Age 2B legal document looks just like a Middle Bronze Age 2B legal document found in the Bible. If you take the Bible seriously. Once again, how are, you going, how, how are you going to be doing this stuff? How are you going to know the economic conditions? How in the world are you going to be knowing the legal conditions unless you were there? It's in the text. Once again, I just ask, let the Bible speak for itself. It does a pretty good job. It does. So the Bible, one, is faithfully translated. Two, it's historically accurate. Final broad brush I'm going to paint, and I'll do this a little bit quicker. The Bible is prophetically inspired. All right. So we're not going to get into this too, 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 too deep, okay? But this, the, the, the simple fact is the Bible makes a lot of prophecies. It does. So the question is, um, how are those prophecies worked out, right? Is it true? Well, they are, every one of them, 100%. But um, this man, a mathematician, you can look him up. His name is Peter Stoner. He did exactly what Dr. Kitchen did, but he did it with mathematics, he went back and he found eight of the most obvious messianic promises. And he crunched the numbers. He said, what would be the possibility of just one man fulfilling eight of the messianic promises? Here's what he concluded. We find the chances that any man might have fully fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in ten to the 157th power. This is what it means. Stay with me. That there is a one chance... I got it written down here in a trillion, 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 thirteen trillion chance that one person would fulfill all eight. In other words, it's mathematically impossible. Funny thing, though, it happened. The man that did it is named Jesus, and he claimed to be the Messiah. Interesting, right? Interesting. All right. So the Bible is faithful been faithfully translated, it is geographically precise, and it is prophetically inspired. You can take confidence in the Bible. When I wrap up this way, perhaps you're here and you're saying, well, that's cool information. It's cool. So, so what? It's good information. My desire is that you wouldn't leave here with a lot of information. My desire is that you would not miss out on the purpose of the Bible, right? Remember, I already stated, you got 66 books, and they all tell one message, message one story, and it's Jesus. Genesis tells us about our need for Jesus. The laws set the foundation for Jesus. Kings, Chronicle, Judges, it prepares us for Jesus. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms, it talks about the longing for Jesus. The prophets, it's the expectation for Jesus. The gospels, the coming of Jesus. Acts, it's the continuation of Jesus. The epistles, it's the command of Jesus. And Revelation is the consummation of Jesus. So the question is not, the question is not, is the Bible reliable and true? It is. The question is, do you know Jesus that's the question do you know Jesus because I can tell you right now 
This Bible, this Bible can be relied upon. It is accurate, and it is the word of Almighty God. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.